Has anybody read the book uh, by Brennan Manning called The Ragamuffin Gospel? It was written a while ago, but I'm telling you, if you have not read this book, it is fantastic. It is life-changing. I would highly recommend it. And, and I want to tell a story out of his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, and it has to do uh, with a guy who's named Ferilio LaGuardia. We'll put his picture on the screen. That's him with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's. Uh, for you youngsters, that guy was a president for a while. I think it was before there were term limits. Yeah. Um, long time ago. Even, was, that's even before your time, Bruce, right? You voted second term. <laughs> uh, so, but this story is about the mayor. Um, and by the way, if you recognize the last name LaGuardia um, from an airport, right? It's kind of sad because LaGuardia Airport is a terrible airport. And you're like, who is this LaGuardia guy that they named this awful airport after? But despite the awful airport... Um, this man was a great man. It was named after a great man. And Ferelia LaGuardia was the mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and into World War, actually all of World War II as well. And he was called by these New Yorkers who really adored him. He was called the Little Flower because he stood about five foot four and he always wore, wore a carnation on his lapel. I mean, this mayor was a colorful character. He used to ride the New York City uh, fire trucks, and he used to raid, he used to go with the police department to raid these speakeasies. Um, he would take an entire orphanage to baseball games. And, I love this one, whenever the New York papers went, went on strike, he would go on the radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids. What a guy, right? Well, one bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court that served the poorest ward of the city. LaGuardia dismissed the judge, gave him the evening off, and he himself, the mayor, took over the bench for the, for the night. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her and... And now her daughter was sick and her two grandchildren were starving, so she had stolen the bread. But the shopkeeper, who was also there, um, he was the guy that the bread was stolen from. He refused to drop the charges. He said, it's a bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She's got to be punished to teach the other people around here a lesson. You know, we need justice. It's the law. <sighs> LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman, he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. It's a fine of $10, or you'll have to spend 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced his sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He pulled out a bill and tossed it into his famous sombrero and said, here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore... I'm going to fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and then give them to the defendant. <laughs> what a story. So the following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, and 50 cents of that was contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner. <laughs> 
along with 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and the New York City policemen who were in the courtroom, each of whom gave 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, and then gave the mayor a standing ovation. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Which is the verse that we have come to in our study of the Beatitudes in our series called The Upside Down Message of Jesus, where we've been camped out for the last few months. We're studying the teachings of Jesus out of Matthew chapter 5, where he begins his famous Sermon on the Mount with this collection of truths that seem really counterintuitive to the people who are listening. And if we really dive into them ourselves, we have to admit that they seem really weird and off and different because they don't describe the way that our world actually works. They look very different, but Jesus says this is the way it works in the kingdom of God. This is the way that it works. If you follow me, it looks very different, but I tell you what, even though it looks upside down and different, this, would declare Jesus, is the path to life and life to the full. So let's read out loud together here. The ground that we have covered so far out of Matthew chapter 5, let's read these on the screen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. And right up front here, as we dive into this, I want to say that there's a huge difference between someone who does an act of mercy and someone who is merciful. Uh, For example, back in Jesus' day and before and after Jesus' day, there were Roman emperors who would conduct and oversee gladiators who would battle in the arena. And these gladiators would go after each other and uh, they would battle often to the death. Sometimes when it was clear that one of the warriors was defeated but not yet dead, one gladiator would stop and the Roman emperor, they would all look to, could spare that gladiator's life by issuing a thumbs up or end it with a thumbs down, and the crowd might sometimes shout out, mercy, mercy, but either way, the emperor would be the one to decide, thumbs up or thumbs down. It was an act of mercy if the emperor thumbs upped, but it was not something that would make him merciful, right? He would not be considered merciful just because he did a single act of mercy, See, an act of mercy can be done from time to time uh, by anyone. On the other hand, merciful people are people who are full of mercy. They are mercy-full. Now, a quick definition of mercy, and we're going to define it and look at it kind of by contrasting it with justice. Um, So, justice is when you get what you deserve, right? Justice is something that we want, especially if we are the ones who've been wronged, right? If somebody offends me, wrongs me, cuts me off, whatever, I want justice, right? I'm very much a justice guy if I'm the one that's been wronged or hurt. Anybody confess to this as well, right? We want justice. We want justice. 
Now, however, when we are the ones that screwed up, <laughs> we're kind of hoping there's a little flexibility in this system, aren't we? Right? Like, like if I get pulled over by a police officer for speeding, and I was speeding, I don't want justice right there, do I? No. No. In that moment, what do I want? Mercy. I want mercy. So then mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. As in, I deserved punishment. Whew, but I was spared for what I deserved, and, and, and I was spared that thing. I didn't get what I deserved. I, whew, I got mercy, right? That's mercy. I got pulled over by the police officer. I was speeding. I deserved a ticket. Whew, but he let me off with a warning. He was merciful. And grace, by the way, is when we get what we don't deserve, right? When, when it comes to grace, we, we didn't only avoid being punished, or we didn't just avoid being, having to pay the price for our wrongdoing. We, we got mercy, like the woman who stole bread, but, but God goes one step further. He gives us grace. Not only does God wish, withhold the punishment we deserve and decide to have mercy on us, he gives us Grace, something that we could never earn, that we could never deserve. And when the mayor in our story, when Mayor LaGuardia um, paid the fine himself and then collected money to give to the woman above that, now we're looking at mercy and grace. So let's keep, though, with our theme of mercy. Um, and let's go back to the word mercy, right? Um, and, and in fact, the verse says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I just look at the word merciful, and I, and I see mercy full, right? Full of mercy. Blessed are those who are full of mercy. See, mercy-filled people have received mercy. They've been filled with it, and then, then they can be merciful to give it away to others. This is what merciful, mercy-full people look like. And the beauty is, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have said yes to God, then you, my friend, have already been given all that you need to be a merciful person. Jesus says and describes your new nature and mine is that we are merciful people. It's not like we've got to go out there and go find it and, and build it up in us. He is saying, no, no, this is what is true of you, follower of Jesus, those of you who are pursuing life in the kingdom of God and the way of of God, your identity built into you is this element of being merciful, and it flows from you. It flows from you and me. Now, that sounds really great, doesn't it? Until I look at my own life and go, whoa, right? How come I'm not so merciful a lot of the times? And how come it's so hard sometimes to find mercy, because sometimes, friends, even though what's truest about you is that God has filled you with all that you and I need to be merciful as his children, we lose track of it really easy, don't we? We just can lose track of, like, one day I'm like, where did it go? See, one of the, I, there's a couple reasons I think that we lose track of, of mercy. Um, one reason, I believe, is that we get caught, very easily we get caught in the trap of religion, Right? When we're caught in the trap of religion, it's very difficult for us to be merciful people because we're doing the checklists, we're doing the shoulds, and much of what we're doing is good stuff, but our hearts get neglected because now we're trying to do the checklist to earn and to perform. That's what religion does. 
Like the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus says to these dried-up, cold-hearted religious performers in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin. He says, you'll tithe even on a little bit of spices to make sure you're following the law. Then he goes on, Jesus says, you do that, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Here's what's more important, Jesus says, mercy, justice, and faithfulness. That's more important. That's important. More important, justice, mercy, faithfulness. He says to them, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, they were caught in the trap of religion, which can happen to you and I so easily, can't it? Like they do all the things that the law requires, They got all the behaviors right, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're neglecting what is more important, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And Jesus says, hey, guys, you need to do both, right? Do both. See, the religious leaders were kind of like the shopkeeper from our opening story who wanted to see the old woman punished, right? Their hearts were dead and dry. And friends, religious duty will dry up merciful hearts, we're living in, when we live in religious duty, instead of a relationship that's living and breathing with God, when we just try to live out of religious duty, it will dry up our merciful hearts. Another thing that will creep in and can drain mercy from our hearts, so there's, there's the deadness of religion, but here's another one that I have seen in me and those around me sometimes. It's when we are motivated and driven by shame. So we try to do the right things, we try to do good things, but we're not doing it out of being full of mercy. We are trying to earn it because we have so much shame in us that that feels so defective and deficient that we think we have to earn it, right? We're not good enough. We barely squeaked in. We better just do more, right? We got to earn it. We got to try to impress God. We need to strive harder. I mean, I think of a woman that I've known who was uh, very passionate about um, homeless ministry and working with homeless people. But it was very clear that she was doing it out of being driven by shame. The reason she was doing even a good thing was that she was so driven by shame that it really tainted the ministry, quote-unquote, that she was doing because she would use massive amounts of shame to try to drag people into it with her, why they should do what they have to do, and don't they really care if you really cared if you were any kind of Christian all, this is what you would be doing. There was so much shame driving what she would do that it really tainted the whole thing. And by the way, when someone uses guilt or shame to get you to do what, 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 what they want you to do or think you should do, it's just not healthy. It's not a healthy thing, right? It will, and if you say yes and go, go along with it, uh, eventually it will wear you out. And you will start to dread doing it. You will, you will dread the people that shamed you into doing it. So you still might do it. You might still do an act of mercy, but that's very different than doing it from being mercy full, full of mercy. 
So when we read, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. When I'm reading that to you, I'm not not saying, you know, hey, all right, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, right? You hear me? So get out there and be merciful. Just do it. Just try harder. Just care more. That's not at all what I'm saying. Now, each of these beatitudes is a radical invitation to reorient you and I towards the heart that God planted in us as his children. So, When I'm not feeling merciful, it's a signal that just something is off in my life. It doesn't have to trigger shame. Um, It's like the fluids are low in your vehicle, right? Oh, we're going to pop the hood, take a look under there. Well, look at that. The fluids are low. Huh, that's good to notice. That's good to pay attention to. We better take a look at that, right? Um, And by the way, like, I still think... Like, it's not a bad thing to go and do merciful things that I know that I'm not really full of mercy and giving it away. Um, um, It's not a bad thing when I don't feel full of mercy to go ahead and do those things. It's just not a great long-term strategy to nurture your heart because eventually it will wear us out. So maybe um, a better approach than, than just do it, maybe a better approach, a healthier, let me say it this way, a healthier approach might be for us to notice, hey, um... I'm not, I'm not feeling full of mercy right now. And maybe it's been a while since I've been full of mercy. And instead of getting down on yourself or beating yourself up about it, saying, oh, what's wrong with me? You know, I used to care. I, I used to do merciful things for people. I used to serve refugees and homeless people. I used to fight against poverty and against human trafficking. But, but now I'm not, and, and oh, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's wrong with me, right? I better just do it. I better just start doing it and caring again. And let me suggest that that instead of doing the guilt and shame thing, what if we ask God a different question? When we notice that we're not full of mercy and something's off, the fluids are low, what if you and I ask God just to fill us with his mercy again? God, will you fill me with your mercy? Will you revive my heart so I will be merciful again? Along with that, I have to tell you this. I know of no better way to be filled with mercy by asking God to bring it, but to also then, in that, practice gratitude. Practicing gratitude can fill us with real mercy. Gets us back in touch with the mercy that God gives to you and to I. When we have gratitude and recognize his mercy that he has shown us, maybe even think about um, your, your journey and your walk with God. To think about your walk with God, think about where you were before you decided to follow Jesus, or maybe where you were in your life before you took the direction toward walking with God. Just think about that and the mercy he had by changing your life when you started to follow him. That can fill a heart with mercy. Or maybe you just go, wow, God had mercy on me. And you realize that more and more when you, when you realize where your life would be. What if you hadn't followed Jesus? Where would your life be right now? What if God hadn't stepped in and changed your life? Where would you be? What would your life be like? What would your job look like or your family look like if you hadn't been ambushed by the mercy of Jesus? Some of you... I know, we're, we're saved out of some really hard and awful stuff. 
Some of you came to Christ and you felt so broken, so alone. Some of you dealt with addiction in your life and in your story before you came to Jesus. Some of you had lost so much, so much. You'd been so betrayed and abandoned. But then Jesus showed up with mercy. And just imagine, just let yourself go back to these places and wonder about the mercy of God back then and even today. Look at what the mercy of God is doing in your life when we just pay attention. And that will get that mercy to feel like it's filling you. You will be filled up with mercy when, when you begin to practice gratitude for what he has done and is doing, right? And if you really want this to take off, I mean, praying about it and thinking about it is great and it's a wonderful first step. Talking to God about this mercy and expressing your gratitude to him is important, right? But if you really want to see this kind of take off and take roots in your life, start to write these things out. Write out the places where he has shown mercy in your life and in your walk, the things that are different because of the mercy of God. Even better than that, Take a risk and tell somebody about the mercy of God, what he has done in your life. Just get it out there and tell people, oh my, the mercy of God has saved me, changed me, given me a whole new life. Tell someone about that. Telling someone actually breathes even more life into, into our gratitude and, and fills us even more with mercy. By the way, when you're honest with God, like when you're being grateful, it doesn't mean you can't complain, right? <laughs> like you don't just pretend, okay, here's all the things I'm grateful for, even though there's a whole pile of stuff that you're unresolved, that's painful and difficult, and, and you're like, okay, I'm going to ignore all that. No, 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 no. Listen, you come to God with all of it. Come with your gratitude, but come with your questions. You don't have to fake it. If there are things in your life that you are confused about or angry about or disappointed about, it's okay. You tell him, even in your gratitude, you bring all of it to him because Jesus wants to hear it all. Because even in our confusion or anger or, or, or disruption, if we can find our way, even in the real stuff to the pieces of gratitude, uh, do it and just see if God doesn't begin to fill you with mercy just by being aware of what he's done, to fill you with his mercy. Think of it this way. Um, when we are merciful, right, um, and we want to show mercy to others, Part of it is just recognizing where we've been or where we could have been, right? Um, how about a hitchhiker, right? Uh, think about this. Who's the person who is most likely to pick up a hitchhiker on the side of the road? Somebody who has needed a ride before, right? You know what it felt like to need a ride. And you saw that person and went, okay, they need a ride. I know what that feels like to be cold and alone. By the way, I'm not advocating picking up hitchhikers in the, you know, here and now, especially you younger ladies and, okay, like, yeah. but the illustration stands, right? Um, you, the person who would pick up a hitchhiker is somebody who can relate. Um, how about having mercy and compassion for homeless people? Like, I think that, that the person often who has a merciful heart towards homeless folks Many times, they're the people who know what it's like to be at risk. They themselves know what it's like to live on the edge, 
um, or live check to check or be evicted. Um, maybe they themselves were also homeless at one time. They get it, right? They can relate. No matter why people end up homeless, some folks go, I'm going to have mercy. I want to show mercy because I'm so grateful that I want to have mercy. But lest we think that, that we have to be able to relate before we can have mercy, um, I think a lot of people, we'll stick with the homeless illustration, I think a lot of people will still sh- have mercy towards homeless people even if they've never been in those shoes. A lot of people will, and I think where that comes from is that people are grateful for God's mercy in their life, the grace of God where God has put us. And they see the guy that's at the stop sign holding the homeless sign, and because of the gratitude they have for the mercy God shows them, they can give mercy to that person. So gratitude and experience are two of the ways that mercy fills us and begins to be something we can give to other people. And again, here, here's the caveat on this one again too, right? Again, with the guy holding the sign by the side of the road, I'm not going to go deep into this. We also need wisdom. Um, sometimes we could actually just help and give money or try to help. And that helping actually can be hurtful in the long run. It can make a problem actually worse. So what we need to do, because we don't know when we see somebody there with the sign, we don't know what the need is or if it's legit or we're going to actually make things worse or enable them. We do need to be able to hear from God. And if we have an open, merciful heart and go, Jesus, are you, are you prompting me to do something for this person? If he says yes, then yeah, we just do. And if he says no then okay, we trust him. No matter what the sob story, we trust him. And isn't that just a safer way to live out of a merciful, merciful heart? Because God will tell us what to do, direct us what to do that will be helpful help. Uh, how about this one? This relates to what Stacy talked about earlier. Um, when you and I are grateful for something that often we forget about, just the clothes that we wear, And we hear that for some people, they don't have the opportunity or privilege that we have um, where we don't really think too much about our clothes um, or even having clothes. We're just about which clothes I want. When I start to get grateful for what I have even clothing-wise, I can't imagine kids going without decent clothing on the reservation. So our hearts of mercy say, yes, yes, I'm in, I want to help, right? So out of grateful hearts... Gratitude flows, and mercy is shown. I think of a village in Vietnam with the ministry I used to work with. Gratitude was so big for the believers in so many of our partner villages, and there was this one village who many of them had come to Christ, and um, they were in deep poverty. But the neighboring village, who didn't, follow Jesus yet, they were even worse off. And so this one village who had been following Jesus thought, well, we're actually pretty rich because we have two, we each have two sets of clothing. By the way, can you imagine, right? I'm going to go clean out my closet. <laughs> um, we have two sets of clothing, but all of them, their clothing's just worn out. You know what? Let's each give one set of our clothing to this impoverished village, gratitude, wherever they were at. It's such a beautiful, amazing, amazing thing. It is mercy filling us, being merciful. See, a merciful person, a person full of mercy, is the one who's in touch 
with the mercy that God has poured out on them. And as that mercy fills us, we give it away. We move past shame or guilt as motivators. We dive deep into the mercy of God. We learn to swim in and appreciate and recognize his mercy on us. And when we do that, we can't help but splash it on people all around us and give away mercy freely. One of my favorite stories um, is uh, Victor Hugo's classic novel, Les Mis. It's also a great movie. How many of you have read the book or seen the movies? Les Mis. Um, It's a beautiful story. It takes place uh, in France, and um, the main character in the story is a man named Jean Valjean. And um, in the middle of his life, we would meet him and see that he's this business owner, that he's, that he's gained the respect of this entire town that he has transformed um, into this thriving manufacturing center. Um, they love this guy so much that they end up making him the mayor, even though he's illiterate. And he built this business uh, to bring prosperity to and bless his town, none of them knew what his background was, but he was a generous man. He was a generous man. In fact, he would employ in his factory at-risk women um, to give them a place to be protected and earn a good wage for their families to keep some of them from having to consider prostitution. He just was benevolent um, and quite philanthropic. Uh, Jean Valjean was a good man. He was a man full of mercy. But it wasn't always that way. When we visit the earlier part of his story, we see that before this life that no one knew what his history was, before this amazing merciful life that he led, he had done 19 years in hard labor prison camp, and it was for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. And this, this incredible story, it's beautiful because he emerges from prison after 19 years, a hardened criminal. He's destined to live in vengeance and hatred. But if we skip forward and see who he became, it's, it's amazing. And in the scene that we're about to watch from the movie, what we're going to see is after he had left prison and was headed down this road toward being a hardened criminal again, we see the event that transformed his life. Check this out. You can't sleep here. Get away from me. Why don't you go to an inn? What do you think? Did you knock on doors and ask people? I asked. I asked everywhere. Leave me alone. You didn't ask there. Knock on that door. Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday, or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a convict. You saw my passport. 
I know who you are. You, you're gonna let me inside your house. What crime did you commit? Maybe I killed someone. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years in chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> 19 years, and now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Men can be unjust. Men, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man. I'm going to offer a little commentary here for those of you who are listening to the podcast and are not able to see the video clip. I obviously did this afterwards. Jean Valjean goes to sleep, and in the next scene, we see him having a flashback to his days of working in the labor prison. He's carrying a large boulder, and he falls down. The guards begin to beat him ruthlessly. He wakes up from his nightmare in the bed in the bishop's home. And then we see him dressed in the dark, sneaking into the dining room where he has his knapsack. And he is looking for the silverware, the fine silver that they had eaten dinner with. He finds it, takes it out, and begins to unload the silverware into his knapsack. In a moment, the bishop will wake up and begin to walk down the hall after having heard some noise. Is anybody there? Jean Valjean then hides next to the cabinet in the dark. The bishop comes in and sees the empty silverware tray and looks behind him in the dark comes face to face with Jean Valjean, who he looks up to because he's bigger. Jean Valjean then punches him in the face, knocks him out, and we see Jean Valjean begin to run into the darkness with his knapsack. In the next scene, the bishop's outside. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more Madame about... Madame Gillot is very distraught about the loss. The police come in. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack, 
searched and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Gillot then escorts the police officers out of the picture, and it's now Jean Valjean and the bishop. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Blessed are the merciful. I love the line, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. This was the act of mercy that changed his life, that ransomed his life. He became a new man indeed. He received mercy, and it launched him into a whole new life, a life full of mercy, mercy full, where he poured it out on those around him. Blessed are the merciful. This story is a beautiful parable that reflects the power of mercy and the gospel. And it brings us to the communion table this morning, a time where we remember the sacrifice, the mercy that God had on us. Worship team, will you come? See, Jesus, friends, had mercy on us. We didn't earn it. We did not deserve it. But God showed his mercy by sending Jesus. See, from the time of Adam and Eve's sin, this whole world had been under the power and authority of the evil one. Even at creation, when, when God had given the authority to humankind, and then when they sinned, they handed, we collectively handed the keys of the planet over to God's worst enemy, to Satan. And the consequences of their sin and ours are devastating. See, all through the Old Testament, we see that sacrifice and holiness are not enough to cancel the claim that, that Satan had on this world and on humankind. But God, in his mercy, sent his only son, Jesus, to redeem us. We were held captive, and by the sacrifice Jesus made, he 
ransomed us. He set us free. You, my brothers and sisters, you no longer belong to evil. By the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross, by the body of Christ that was broken at Calvary, you no longer belong to evil. And with his sacrifice, he has redeemed you, body, soul, spirit, heart, mind, and will. Jesus has ransomed you from fear and hatred so that now you can belong to God. Just imagine in these moments, Jesus calling you by name, saying those very words. Just imagine him saying to you, calls your name. Just imagine him speaking your name. And then he says, you, you, you no longer belong to evil. By my body that was broken, by my blood that was shed, I have paid the ransom. I paid the price for sin and death and brokenness and evil. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. I have ransomed you from fear and hatred and you are now a child of God, washed clean, made new. You are loved.